chapter 4, verse 35, John 4, 35, and we'll be looking at several passages throughout the teaching, but there in John 4, 35, uh, Jesus says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields where they are already white for harvest. Now, the context of John 4 um, is in this particular context, Jesus is speaking to the disciples or the apostles who have returned to him after he has had an encounter with a, a woman who is known to us only as the woman at the well. Unfortunately, we don't know her name. And uh, they're speaking to Jesus about eating, and Jesus is speaking to them about harvest. And so one of the things I want to point out is the word behold, because the word behold is a is a revelation word. All right. So whenever in the Bible, whenever the Bible says behold, it is telling us to take a look or to look at this thing or to pay attention with our vision or our sight. Now, of course, uh, we're not speaking in the natural sense, but we're speaking in a spiritual or prophetic sense. So that word behold means to get the revelation of what I'm saying to you. And so I want to say to us this afternoon or this morning as we're shifting into the afternoon that the word for us is the behold, uh, because there's a lot of things trying to get in our eyes that there's a there's a lot of things happening if you if you watch a lot of news if you watch a lot of media if you watch a lot of uh streaming social media there is a lot of things that's trying to get our vision or trying to get our attention and trying to cause us to focus on those things but the Lord is saying to us in this season to behold, okay? And so we have to see what it is that he wants us to see. I want to invite you to join me and see what the Lord wants us to see. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying put your head in the sand like the ostrich or try to act like things are not happening around you, but what I am saying is lift your eyes in the realm of the spirit. Uh, and when we lift our eyes to the realm of the spirit and we begin to see prophetically, then we will see the thing that the Lord is showing us. So the Lord says, behold, lift up your eyes. Okay. And so, and so that's my invitation to us that we will lift up our eyes again, not in a natural sense, but in, in a spiritual prophetic sense, lift up our eyes, uh, look at the fields because the fields are already white for the harvest or the fields are already the harvest. Now, traditionally, and I hate to start with tradition, but 
one of my assignments as an apostle in the church, one of my assignments as a reformer is really to help the church break out of tradition. And I make no apologies for that. I, I, uh, and I know that, you know, we often say all tradition is not wrong, but most of our traditions are wrong because they keep us uh, linked to the past or they keep us linked in a place where we are still endeavoring to hold on to what we are comfortable with, all right? So when the church thinks about the harvest, it is always thought about the harvest in the future tense, that the, that the harvest is ahead, that the, fu that the future is, uh, that the harvest is in the future. It's five years from now. It's 10 years from now. Uh, I remember uh, when when I transitioned into the prophetic back in 2007, there were many prophets talking about a billion soul harvest, and they were they were they were preparing the church. They were getting the church ready for this billion soul harvest that was coming. <laughs> now I've come to understand that that there that many times prophets can also be bound in tradition. We we don't, I, I don't like to say that, but many prophets who have been raised up or trained religiously, or they have been trained denominationally, uh, or they've been trained in a certain movement, uh, they also take on the doctrine <clears throat> and the teachings of that movement that they are part of. So they was they so I was hearing these prophets and I'm kind of young in the prophetic although I wasn't young as a believer I was a pastor I, I was I considered myself a mature believer uh, but in the things of the prophetic I was young and and somewhat not knowledgeable and so I would listen to them talk about this billion soul harvest. And then I would look at the churches in, in my community. I would look at the churches in my denomination. And I would say to myself, we're not going to be able to contain our portion of this harvest if the Lord is giving us a billion. Uh, at the time, I was pastoring a church of about 200. And I said, we can hardly deal with the 200. You know, 20 folk out of the out of the 200 can create chaos in the church. And so, and so the, and so now I've come to understand that in every age from the time that Jesus spoke this word in John four, that Jesus was saying to us, as he continues to say to us, that the harvest is now, it's not future. For 2000 years, we have been we have been in what I call the harvest. And so as a result of this, the church has missed, has missed the place of harvest because what is the harvest? The harvest is the gathering of men into the kingdom of God, not the church. Okay. So the church, whereas the church has been trying to gather men into the church, into the local church, into the city church, into the not into the denominational church, the geographic church, the race church, you know, because in America we have the black church, the white church, the Latino church. So we've been 
our focus is on getting the harvest into the church without, but not understanding that Jesus was speaking about the kingdom. And so what, what has, what has created the tension and, and, and really there's, there's no more tension except for those who are still in that church mindset. What created the tension, I believe, throughout the church age or throughout the kingdom age, because, because even though Jesus says, I will build my church, Jesus really brought the kingdom to the earth. And, and he came as a king and he came to make kings. He came to gather sons. Uh, he came to gather sons into the kingdom. And because the focus of the church has been on gathering the harvest into the church in every age, the church has lost many harvests. Throughout the church age or throughout the church ages, because an age, uh, I was looking at one parable and and, uh, and I believe I'm teaching again next month. So we may deal with that parable where Jesus was talking about how the seeds were sown uh, the, the seeds were sown by the Lord and then the counterfeit seeds were sown by the devil. And he talked about how the tares and the, uh, how the wheat and the tares has to grow together because those are the products of two different kinds of seeds coming up together. And then Jesus says at the end of the age or the end of the world, then we will come and separate. Now it, it has been often believed it has been taught that the end of the world is the end of the planet earth but i don't believe that's what jesus was speaking of if i'm and if i'm incorrect then i don't mind being corrected but when jesus said the end of the world he was talking about the age the end of the age and an age is a characteristic it is a time that has been characterized by certain things and so uh, I'll be 57 in, 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 in about 10 days, I think. And throughout my life, there has been several ages that I've gone through. I've seen several ages. I'm, you know, sometimes you know, I think about my grandmother who lived to be 96. She went to heaven in 2018. And my grandmother used to talk about, I never thought I would live to see this. And and now I'm in the place of my grandmother because I never thought I would live to see this. But what we are seeing is we're seeing the coming of ages. And we're and there are certain characteristics. And so and so on the one hand, we're in the 21st century, which is an age, and then we're in the third decade of the 21st century, the 20s is the third decade. And so this is a particular age. And so when Jesus talks about the end of the age, he is saying that there's going to be a, a transition and a revolution of time where, where things that used to be, okay, things that, that we used to experience will no longer be that, that it's a new characteristic, okay? We're, we're currently in the age of AI. AI is one of the characteristics of this age. And if you're not using AI, you, you know, I'm, I'm using in a lot of my writings, it is, it, it has really enhanced my 
writings. And so we're in the age of AI. We're, we're also in, in other types of ages. So in every age, the Lord is saying to us, there is a harvest. And, and when you have a harvest mind and a harvest understanding, then instead of being confused by the age, because I'm at an age now where uh, if I'm not careful of, if I'm not careful of seeing the Lord's harvest in this age, I will get depressed. And as we get older, <coughs> y'all excuse my cough. It, it was a, we had a cold snap in, in Atlanta last month. And so uh, I developed this cough. It's, you know, it may be allergies. It may be something else. And so y'all excuse me for coughing. But in this age, if we are not aware, if we're not seeing the Lord in the midst of it, and we're not understanding his purpose in the midst of the age, we will become depressed because the ages are changing. Things that used to take place, all right? Things that used to take place even 20 years ago, even in 2004, is changing now. And so because the church's focus is on membership instead of sonship, the church has lost many harvests. And, and it may be that the Lord is giving a billion soul harvest. I don't believe that he's going to ever give a billion. He's going to bring a billion people into the church. But he, but he may be raising up a billion sons in the earth. And if we don't understand that these sons and this harvest is for the kingdom, and not for the church. Now, does the church have a place? Of course it does. The conservatory has a place as a, as a harvester. And one of the things I love is that our apostle, her name, Teresa, means harvest. And so prophetically, uh, because we are linked to a harvest apostle, that means we are a harvest place. But we understand that the harvest is not about growing the conservatory, it is about bringing sons into the kingdom. Sons denote identity. Sons denote family. It also denotes inheritance. And we are, listen, listen, we have not really understood what it means to be sons with an inheritance. And that's why many of us are still stuck in a poverty mindset, but that's another message. But when we understand that in this 21st century, which I believe is 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 another age, because when I look at when I look at the church in the 90s and I look at the church in the 21st century, I see clearly that there was a new age coming. Right. And so in this 21st century, the Lord is recovering the harvest to the kingdom and only the church. Only the church that represents the kingdom will become a harvest ministry or a harvest community. And many churches are losing their plates. They're losing their lampstands. They're losing their influence. 
I mean, I mean, I've listen, I've lived in several places in the United States, but some of the stuff I'm seeing in the church in Atlanta, it has me shaking my head and it has me thanking the Lord that I'm kingdom and not church because the church is losing. And, and, and part of it is losing is the Lord has intentionally moved. He gave the church grace. He gave it grace for centuries. Even from the Reformation, the Lord gave the church grace to become uh, to become the, um, the embassy of the kingdom. See, the church was never supposed to take the place of the kingdom. It is supposed to be the embassy of the kingdom. If you ever traveled to another nation, okay, before you enter that nation, you will receive a notice as to where is the embassy for your country. I went to Nigeria some years ago, and before I went to Nigeria, I got a notice from the State Department that says if I was ever in need, it informed me of where the embassy was, where the embassy, because the embassy was there uh, to be an advocate for me, to be uh, to be a protector for me, to meet my needs if I if I needed it. That is what the church was created to be by Jesus, to be the embassy for the kingdom. But unfortunately, it was easier for man to take over the church than to take over the kingdom, because God would not give us the kingdom. Okay, He would not put us in a place where we're going to take over the kingdom. So we've taken over the church because, you know, everybody can create their own little church. They're, they're what was called the local church, okay? And everybody can do their own little church and they can run it according to their rules and all of that. And the Lord gave grace for that for, for centuries from, from the Reformation to the 21st century. But then I saw, thank God for the prophetic, because if I had not been prophetic, I might not have seen this. And then I would not have been able to make the move when the Lord says it was time for me to move. But because I saw the Lord moving and I saw the Lord saying, "I'm listen, I'm leaving the church and you can stay there if you want, but I'm leaving and you need to go with me. And so I chose to go with him instead of staying. And so now the Lord is recovering the harvest in the kingdom. Those that have a kingdom understanding have a harvest understanding. Okay, let's go to the next screen. So, so the first thing Jesus says is lift up your eyes, okay? Because in order to see the harvest, you have to have a harvest vision. And one of the things we have to do is we have to adjust our vision to see the harvest. So we have to come out of a traditional vision. We have to come out of a, uh, a natural vision. We have to come out of a racial vision. We have to, you know... Uh, it, it it was it was hard for me. I started pastoring in the nineties. I hope y'all don't mind me sharing these stories. So I started pastoring in the nineties, and there was a there was a, a a movement, a church growth movement. Uh, it started with the church up in Chicago, uh, uh, Bill Hybels. I forget the name of the church, but it was Bill Hybels and and uh, and all of these churches. You know, became what they call seeker sensitive churches and 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 the the primary theme 
from a lot of those movements was you got to have vision. If you're going to be a successful pastor, you got to have vision and you got to cast the vision and uh, and your, your vision. And then George Barnett came with this. Uh, a vision is a picture of a preferable future. And so I didn't have vision. I, I didn't I didn't have vision for the church. And so and so I was trying to uh, I was doing a lot of programs and bringing a lot of ministries in the church to make up for my lack of vision because I didn't want the people. I was going to these conferences and and all of that and buying books. And I got the purpose driven church by uh, the guy out in Saddleback. I, I don't I don't know why I don't I can't remember their names, but uh, got the book and I was using the principles of the book as best I could, but I didn't have a vision. I didn't have a vision. Yes, that's it, Warner. What was his first name? Um, and so it was It was only, it was finally during my period of wilderness. My will, Yeah, Rick Warren. Rick Warren, that's it. That's it. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. And so it was during my wilderness period where I finally began to get a vision for the church, Okay. It was, but it was humanistic and it was human centered. It was people centered and it wasn't God at all. Okay. And so I, so I, I brought a vision to the church. They didn't like it because it, number one, it was going to require too much money, more money than they were giving or willing to give. And it was bringing too many changes to the church. And so what a lot of churches will do, they'll say they want a vision or they want a visionary pastor, but then when the pastor brings a vision, if it's not their vision, okay, if it's not what they want, then they reject it. So it was only as I began to move into the prophetic and, and the Lord started giving me prophetic understanding that the vision is what I show you. It is what you see, what you see me doing. And it's it's you coming into agreement with what I'm already doing in the earth. So you just need to see what I'm doing and you need to get in it. And so that's what Jesus did. Jesus never brought a vision in his ministry. All Jesus said is, I do what I see the father doing. And so once I began to understand that, then I could move away from that humanistic drive of being a pastor with a vision. But listen, God wants us to have a vision. He wants us to have a vision, but He, but in order for us to have, have a vision, we have to adjust our eyes. And so Jesus says, lift up your eyes, okay? What does that lift up your eyes mean? It means to look beyond where you are right now. It means to look into the realm of the spirit. And so when we are praying for vision, all we really need to pray for is, Lord, show me what you're doing so I can be a part of it. In 2019, the Lord told me, uh, he, he told me, I want you in Atlanta before 2020. That was the vision of the Lord. It wasn't so much a vision for me, but now I see where I benefit from it. I also see the, see the struggles I'm having with it, but it was where the Lord was moving and where he wanted me to be. 
All right. It was it was it was his vision, and he said, "Lift up your eyes." And when I lifted up my eyes, I could see Atlanta because the Lord had spoken it. Now, now many times when we hear the Lord speak, if we don't make an adjustment to what He said, if we don't make that adjustment, we will miss what the Lord is saying. We will miss what we need to see because we need to lift up our eyes, which means that that most of the time we're, we're and, and you may be at the best level. You may be at a prophetic level. You may be seeing in the spirit. You may have, uh, you may have the gift of sight as many of you are seers and, and you see, uh, one of, one of my mentees is, a uh, has a powerful gift of, of sight and she's seeing me. And so her latest seeing of me, uh, spoke to an area where I'm trying to I'm trying to navigate because I'm vacillating right now. Y'all know what vacillating is. It means moving, you know, moving back and forth. So I'm kind of like in a rhythm uh, of of moving, but I'm not moving toward it. But when she saw uh, what I'm vacillating with, then 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 I had to lift up my eyes and see that this is really what the Lord wants me to see. So I need to stop vacillating and I need to just start doing what the Lord is saying. So you may have, you may have the ability to see, but until you lift up your eyes, you will not see what you need to see. All right. And so in, in Genesis 13, 14, and the Lord said to Abram after, uh, after Lot was separated from him, lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are. <clears throat> and so the Lord is inviting Abraham to see more, to see expansion. Because, because Abraham, for the first time in his life, he has been fully separated from all of his family. Now we know when God called, when God called Abraham, he told him to leave all of his family. He said, leave your father's house, leave your relatives, leave your country, <clears throat> leave it all. Okay. And, um, and it wasn't until Lot, until uh, Abram and Lot separated, that now the Lord says, now you are ready to see the harvest. Uh, Psalms 121.1, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. All right. So even when you need help, because there's a tendency in us to look in the wrong places for our help. But uh, the psalmist said, I believe that was David. I'm not sure. David said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And in David's time, they believed that God lived in the hills because the hills represent elevation. All right. So if you can just lift your eyes in an elevated place, then you can see who your help is. All right. And then Zechariah had a uh, had a had a vision where the angel came to him and said, lift up your eyes. So it is in so the reason why many, many ministries are missing the harvest is because they're not making that eye adjustment. They're not adjusting their eyes. They're not seeing in the right place. Let's go to the next screen. Lift up your eyes. All right. The second thing that Jesus said is he said, look at the field. So we adjust our vision. We look up. Okay. We lift up our eyes. We behold, lift up our eyes, and then the Lord said, look at the fields, okay? Now, now again, 
Where are the fields? Because the church has always believed that it was the field. And that's, and that's the problem it has had. Because the field is the place where you live, okay? It's your city, it's your region, or your state, okay? So your field is where you are currently living. Even if, even if you're not supposed to be there, uh, don't ignore your current field while you're waiting for your new field, okay? The place where you are is your field. <laughs> your place of work is your field, your place of business, your marketplace. I love the word marketplace because marketplace is a little more expansive. Uh, wherever you work, where you're making a living, where you're drawing a paycheck, that's your field. Your place of ministry, that's, that's your field, your place of ministry, where you serve, okay, where you serve. Uh, the, the scribal conservatory is our place of ministry. This is where we serve. And so we, uh, here's the thing about ministry is that we don't all have to be teachers. We don't all have to be apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, but we are all ministers in that we can serve each other. All right. So we can edify each other. We can encourage one another. We should always be praying for each other. Okay, we should always be looking for opportunities because we have opportunities to meet uh, even virtually. Uh, this is still our place of ministry. And then this is not your only place of ministry, but where else do you serve? Where, where, where do you speak into the lives of others? Okay, as a prophetic people, we have the ability to prophesy. Prophecy is ministry. Okay, when it's done for the right reasons. Uh, I was in a conversation on TikTok. TikTok is a place of ministry, but it's a crazy place too. Okay, <laughs> I would not be on TikTok if the Lord had not sent me there. Um, because for the longest, I didn't trust. I, you know, I was listening to the politicians, and so I thought that TikTok was under uh, Chinese influence, and they're gonna get my information. And then one day I said, well, they already got my information. I've been on Google for years. I can't hide. So I better be doing the right thing because, because if somebody wants to shame me, they can, they can just find, they can find me all over the internet. I'm on the internet and I'm not hiding and I'm not afraid of it. All right. So I'm on TikTok and, uh, and there's a conversation going on about how all musicians are ministers and they need to look at their music as ministry. And I disagree. And I say I disagree because all, all musicians, even Christian musicians, are not ministers. Some of them are entertainers. They don't have a they don't have a heart for ministry. They're not they're not singing for uh to serve God or to serve his people. Because see, ministry and I know some of y'all ain't going to agree with this, but ministry is very limited. That's why when people think that ministry is your whole life, you need to get a life. Because, because ministry in the biblical context has always been activity in the midst of the congregation of the Lord. Okay. Now I've been in ministry another month. I'll be, uh, it'll be my 40th year as, as a, as a minister, as a preacher, uh, a, a preacher, uh, an elder, 
um, pastor, and now an apostle. So I've been in it for 40 years. And there was a period in my life where it did consume my life. But I would never allow it to consume my family life. And so I was different because I had seen older ministers who had lost their children because they were so consumed in their ministry that they were not, they didn't have time to be fathers and mothers. And so I I, I kept my son close to me and I and I stayed his father. I, I never tried to be his pastor, but I stayed his father. And then and then that gave him the freedom to uh to want to enter ministry itself, which he did, and now he's now he's a prophet. And so uh ministry is not supposed to be your whole life. It is it is part of your life, it is an important part of your life. But ministry is your service to God. All right. So our first, our first ministry is to the Lord, worship. All right. And and we are all called to worship. And I don't need a, a congregation uh, to worship. <clears throat> I don't need to be in a congregation. I can just be in the presence of the Lord and worship him. Uh, I don't need other people to hear me pray, to pray. I actually, I'm actually in a place now where I live in a spirit of prayer, where I'm praying throughout the day. And I'm not just talking about talking with my mouth, even though that is prayer, all right? Because you're not fully praying without using your mouth. But living in the spirit of prayer is just simply living in Holy Spirit and connecting and then speaking uh, with him what he wants to do uh, through you. And so many of the places that I go when I'm driving throughout Atlanta, because you can't go anywhere in Atlanta unless you're going to be 30 to 40 minutes on the road. Thank God I'm a patient person. All right, so I'm 40, it's gonna take me 30 to 40 minutes to get wherever I'm going. And so I'm praying as I see, as Apostle uh, as, as told us about how, how to see, how to move beyond the realm of dreaming into seeing, I'm actually living in that because I see, and that's how I know that Atlanta is an apostolic city. Every city is not an apostolic city. Some cities are prophetic, some, some cities are, uh, our teaching centers, some are e evangelistic, some are pastoral, but Atlanta is a, is a apostolic city. And that's why the Lord is sending so many people here. Uh, before I moved here years ago, uh, one of the residents said, we, we would be a better city if people would just stop living, stop moving here. But we're, but people are moving here because there's an apostolic move on this city. So your place of ministry is your field, but your ministry is not your entire life. And then wherever you have influence, so I was talking about TikTok, I kind of got off and I was sharing, and I think I said it, but I was sharing how every, every singer, every gospel singer is not a minister. Many of them are entertainers. They are, they are, they are singing to, to gain fans, fa fame, and fortune. They are, they are singing to get Grammys and Emmys. That is why they sing, even though they sing gospel music. Okay. But they are not ministers. So wherever you have influence, 
And the person who was running that conversation didn't agree with me. And she, and basically she said is that they're still ministers. I said, no, they're not, they're not ministers because they don't have that, they don't have the intention or the expectation of being a minister. So your field, that's where the harvest is. Okay. Now, now what does that mean? in terms of bringing sons into the kingdom. Does that mean that we have to preach everywhere we go, that we have to uh, teach everywhere we go? We gotta be religious. We gotta be, you know, we gotta talk to, we gotta tell people how to get saved. That's not what it means because again, sonship, okay? Because again, sonship is, is not just about salvation. But it is it is in, it it starts with salvation, but eventually sonship is about becoming an inheritor in the family, and so and so we're not you you know it, I believe it's the Holy Spirit who does the saving. He does the drawing and the saving. But in our field. We are using our influence in order to show people what does sons look like. And sometimes we have to be undercover, which means that we can't. And how I, I hope y'all understand what I'm saying, because I'm not saying to be ashamed. I'm not saying to be sneaky, but I am saying be sneaky. But I'm, what I'm saying is that we don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed or feel that we're not qualified because we are not an apostle or prophet, okay? <clears throat> All of us have the grace of Holy Spirit within us to help people. Yes, yes, Apostle Pat, being wise as a serpent. Now, we know that a serpent is a snake. It's a picture of Satan. But when Jesus talked about being wise as a serpent, he's saying knowing how to navigate in the midst of a society, in the midst of a structure, so that you can be salt and light and you are, you are being attractive, okay? You, you are attracting them to the kingdom and to sonship, all right? And so that's really what, what the harvest is, is that we go into our fields, okay, so that we can harvest, so that we can speak to the harvest, so that we can be harvesters, so that we we can be the type of a people who is helping others know that God is inviting you to be a son, okay? Now, inviting them to the conservatory, that's okay. I, I think the conservatory is a great place to invite people, all right? Uh, inviting them into your home or inviting them into your life as a friend or being a, a, a mentor, being a counselor or an advisor, all of that is great because, because what we're doing is we are showing them the kingdom and we're showing them how they can become sons in the kingdom. Let's go to the next slide. And so in John chapter four, we, we're going to, uh, we're going to look at these passages and I'm going to be done in John four, uh, 
Jesus is gathering the harvest. And I believe in this chapter, Jesus is showing us what the harvest looks like. Because again, when we think of harvest, we think of a, plura a, a plurality of numbers. We're thinking of multitudes. Uh, we're thinking of thousands and uh, hundreds. Okay, but Jesus in John 4, Jesus is showing us how to gather the harvest. He's, he's showing us how to reach the harvest, okay? So in uh, verses 1 through 30, I'm not going to read that entire passage, but it, it says uh, in chapter 4, verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria, okay? Which again speaks to what I said earlier about your place. Jesus needed to be in Samaria because he had a harvest appointment. So we have to be, uh, you know, we have to be aware of where the Lord is sending us or where the Lord has placed us because where the Lord puts us is usually a harvest appointment attached to it. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because in Samaria, verse 7, there would be a woman, okay? There, there, there's a woman that's coming to the well where Jesus is, Jacob's well. And then Jesus starts a conversation with the woman, okay? Have you ever had a conversation with a person that was that that was life changing to to them, or even life changing to you. Okay, he's having a conversation with the woman. <clears throat> he's saying to the woman, he 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 makes a request of the woman, and so the request is, can you just give me something to drink? I'm I'm thirsty. Can you give me uh, something to drink? And so that begins a a dialogue. Okay. And so then Jesus moves into the prophetic. I love, I love how he, he moves because he moves from uh, presenting his need to the woman, and then he moves into the prophetic in verse, in verse 16. Jesus says to her, go call your husband uh, and come here. The woman answered, I, don't, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. So Jesus is speaking a word of knowledge, okay? Now, the one thing we have to remember, uh, and I, I hope this doesn't shake up your theology, but when Jesus walked in the earth, even though he was God, he did not operate as God. His His, his godness was, uh, was, was covered in his humanity. And so Jesus was completely dependent on Holy Spirit to operate in the gifts that he operated in. Now, why did he do this? Because he was showing us that, that we can do the same thing, okay? I used to be, now I was in the Baptist church and we didn't believe that we could do anything like Jesus. And so we used to sing songs. I wish I could do what Jesus did. I wish, I, you know, we was doing all that wishing because we didn't believe in the, in the gifts of the spirit or the supernatural. But Jesus operated as, as the God man, as a man uh, by the leading of the Holy Spirit and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because he's showing us that we can do the same thing. 
So you can have a word of knowledge for a woman. This again, this is harvest, y'all. We're not talking about preaching, okay? We're not talking about witnessing the Roman road. How many of y'all have learned the Roman road at your church? Romans uh, 3.23, Romans uh, 6.23. Romans 8, 1. You, and we're not talking about that. We're talking about operating in the gift of Holy Spirit because the gift of Holy Spirit is, is, where, is where the harvest, it's how we operate in the harvest, in the field, okay? So if you have, if you are prophetic, your, your prophetic ability will always give you an edge and it will always bring you to the field and it will bring you to the harvest, all right? And so and so then the woman says, I perceive that you are a prophet. So she recognizes that he's a prophet. How could he know that she had had five husbands unless he's a prophet? She had never seen him. He had never seen her. And then Jesus moves into this discourse about worship, all right? And then the woman says to him, I know the Messiah. She says, I know that Messiah is coming who is called uh, Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So see, the, the, the woman is already harvest. She's already, she's harvest ready. She just needed, she just needed a harvest encounter with he who is the Lord of the harvest. And so most people, and this is what this is what kind of blows us away because most of us don't understand. I didn't even understand this when I was a pastor, all right? I came to understand it before I left the pastor. Most people outside of the church are more ready for God than those who are inside of the church. Because those who are inside of the church are being, they're being programmed to be religious. They're being programmed to be uh to to uh to hide their problems they're being they're being programmed to you know go to church if you go to church you save and you sit in church and you make sure you got on your best clothes you know because the, because the lord wants you to put on your best clothes no matter how hot it is all right he wants you to wear your best and people are being programmed and they're being programmed so much until they are they are becoming, uh, or rather they're losing their harvest ability. So people on the outside, even people who are, because I've met, I've met people here in Atlanta who are, who are very new age. I've seen, I've met more new age people in Atlanta than I have anywhere I've lived. And so what I mean by new age is like, like they, they pray, you know, they, they pray to the universe. Like, uh, if y'all watch the Monique interview, I'm kind of telling on myself. Monique says she's praying to the to the universe about her son, and and she's believing that the universe is gonna fix it. I'm like, well, you keep on praying. It ain't nothing in the universe to fix you and your son's problem. But there are people who believe that. There are people who believe that there is power in the sun and the moon. There are people who believe that that they're personality or identity uh, is formed by their astrological sign. You, you know, now what does all of that mean? It means that, listen, they are closer to the prophetic than people who are religious. 
They're closer. They just need an encounter with the prophetic God. All right. And, but, and, and that's how a lot of prophets, one prophet, uh, she used to be heavy in the occult. And, and when she met Jesus, she became a prophet. Now, how did she move into a prophet? She didn't go through a school. She didn't go through a school of the prophet because she was already aware of the supernatural. And many people outside, many people who are harvest ready, they are more in tune to God. They just don't know him yet. They need you. They need you to come to them and they need you to minister to them and they need you to help them to see who God really is. So this is what Jesus did. And 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 when uh and when Jesus was done, verse 28, the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, she spoke to the men, because remember, this is a patriarchal uh society, so she she went to the men of the city and she said, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this could this be the Christ? And so Jesus had one appointment with one person. That's the harvest, okay? And so then in verses 32 and 38, all right, Jesus begins to teach the disciples about the harvest. He says, he, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I'm, I'm, I, I, see, when you're, when you're a harvest person, all right, the most important thing in your life is the will of God. It is doing the will of God. And the will of God is what pleases him. It is it is bringing forth his desire in the earth. All right. And to uh and 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 see he he has he sends us. That's what makes us apostolic. That one word sent. Whenever you see the word sent, that word is for you because you are apostolic. So that means that every place you go, you are sent. You're, you're not here in the conservatory uh, by accident. You have been sent to the conservatory because the conservatory is your place of, of maturity. And, and the Lord has, he, he's got to have a mature people because if, if we don't have maturity, <clears throat> then we're not going to have people who can harvest, who can go into the harvest, all right? And so Jesus talks to the, to the disciples about the harvest. And then in verses 39 and 42, watch, watch this. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. It, it, it didn't say all of the Samaritans believed. It said many of them believed because they were the harvest. They were the harvest. They first heard the word from the woman, but then after spending time with Jesus, two days with Jesus. All right. It don't take, it don't take 20 years to get folks. It might take 20 years to get folks saved, but it don't take them 20 years for them to become harvest people. And so then many more believe because of his word. All right. And so that's the harvest. That's, that's the harvest. And then in verses 43 through 45, Jesus goes to Galilee and when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, okay? 
Because again, the harvest is wherever you are received, okay? Everybody's not gonna receive you, that's true. But don't get hung up on the people who rejected you. I mean, you just keep moving into the place where you're going to be received. You, you don't, listen, <laughs> you don't have to waste all your life trying to make people like you because you're different or because, you know, you, you don't practice your faith the way that they practice. You don't have to waste your time trying to convince your family of your relationship with the Lord. Just keep moving. That's what Jesus did. Jesus kept moving till he came to a place where the people received him having seen the things that he did. And that's the harvest, y'all. It is being in a place where you receive so that as you begin to sow into people, you're not supposed to be sowing into hard ground, okay? All right, you, you're really not because the seed that you're sowing has the, has the potential to create growth, to create transformation. Why would the Lord give you seed and then send you to hard ground? That's what many of these churches is. And I've spent 23 years sowing, but I but I'm but even though the churches were hard, there was always a, a, a there was always a few that I was able to sow into and they got it. Okay. Unfortunately, it wasn't everybody. And that made that made my ministry hard. But listen, you you know the harvest is not it's not hard to get the harvest. This is what I'm saying to you. I want you to I want to I want to help somebody get out of that religious thinking that that it's hard to be a Christian. No, it ain't. It ain't hard. The the spirit of God lives in you. It's hard being saved in this world. Well, come out of the world then, because it ain't hard. Amen. Being, being, walking with the Father, okay? Uh, this is a season where the Father is inviting us to walk with him. It's not hard to walk with the Father. Now, now, I, I do need to say that this is a hard, this is going to be a hard year. Last year was a hard year, but your walk with the Father is what got you through last year, okay? It was the, it was the grace on your life. I had a hard year last year. But the the father told me that if I was to endure, that I would get through. And I endured the hardness. But what was not hard is knowing that the father loves me. Okay. That's the harvest. Yo. Knowing that the father, the son and Holy Spirit lives in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. All right. I can I can I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to their purpose. So listen, it, it, all of this is hard. It's only hard because you're making it hard because you're you're trying to you're trying to do faith among the faithless. All right, listen, we all need support and we need encouragement. And and at my age, I don't have time to be spending with people that that are not going to encourage me. I don't have time. Listen, and I I I love people. I do. I love people. But I'm not spending the rest of my life. I don't know how many years I got left. I'm I, I want to. I'm trying to live as long as my grandmother. She lived to be 96. 
So if I live as long as grandma, I've I got 40 more years, but, but if not that, you know, that's all right. But I don't have time to be wasting my life with people that don't love me, don't appreciate me, don't encourage me, don't see me. Okay. I don't believe that's the will of God. That's religion. Religion wants you to be with people who, who, who mistreat you, talk about you to your face. I ain't talking about them that talk about you behind your back. Okay. And we've all been there. We've had those kind of people. You, he doesn't, he doesn't want us. I was talking with a young lady. She says, uh, she says she's at the end of her job and they disrespect her. The older women don't respect her. They disrespect her. And she, and she says she's going to wait and she's going to get out of there. I like, I don't see the point in waiting. I said, you live in Atlanta. Atlanta got a lot of jobs. <laughs> and so I said, I don't see the point in waiting. If they don't appreciate you, then you, you need to dust up your resume and start looking for something else. All right. So the Galileans received him. And then lastly, the nobleman's son. All right. There was a certain nobleman who had a son who was sick. And Jesus said, go your way, your son lives. And the nobleman believed Jesus and his son was healed. So when we talk about harvest, I, I want you to I want you to get a, 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 a fresh picture of what harvest really is. Harvest is not the masses. Eventually, it will be, okay? I believe the Lord can, <clears throat> can save a billion people and bring a billion people into the kingdom. I just don't think that there's a, that, you know, he's, he's not bringing them to the church. But the harvest is wherever you are sent, and whoever you are sent to encourage and to bless and to be a blessing. Father, we thank you that the harvest is white. We thank you that our eyes are open, that we see uh, clearly uh, what you are doing. We thank you, Father, that, uh, that you are calling us to the harvest. Father, I pray for every person in the conservatory that you would give us a, mind, a harvest mind, and that you would help us to see the fields where we are currently are, and 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 help us to see that the harvest is now. There 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 are people now who are ready to become sons, and so Father, use us uh, and let us let us be in their life what you have been in our life. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the Lord of the harvest and you've called us to be harvesters. You've called the, the, the scribal conservatory to be a, a ministry of harvest. And I speak over every one of us as harvest ministers and that we will walk in this, in this calling, in this, this great calling, this high calling. We thank you that paradigms are, are changing, that that we're now in the age of reformation, renaissance, and revival, and that you're causing us to see in new ways how, how you are bringing us, uh, how you're bringing us forth in the world to, uh, to bring forth your kingdom. And we thank you that your will and your kingdom is one, 
So each day I pray that we would seek your will, do your will, and bring forth the kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.